Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker. I'm joined today with Santiago Beltran for a Flyover Footy special. We don't have a game to talk about. We don't have a game to look forward to, but we're here nonetheless in this League's Cup break where we're going to bring to you today some information on the transfer window, which just closed this week. We're going to look at City 2 for a little bit, and we're going to kind of go deep into the roster. So it feels like it's been, I don't know, 75 days since the last City match. At least to me it does. Santi, how are you doing? <laughs> doing great, yeah. I, I think you're right. It's, to me, it looks like it's it's been forever. Uh, and I, I missed it. I miss uh, going to the stadium, even going to the training grounds. But yeah. mostly none of that this week. Uh, uh, luckily, I, I was out of town. I, I also took advantage of the break to take a break myself. So... Uh, I didn't miss it as much, but now that I'm back, I'm like, oh, I wish uh, I had a training to go to or that there was something to talk about. But hey, we're here and the transfer the transfer window is over, so we can talk about that. Yeah, kind of perfect timing because it does feel like, I don't know, we're just drifting through this week. I don't have my my soccer stronghold to hold on to, keep me grounded and, and separate the days out. So everything just kind of feels a little bizarre. We're recording this on a Friday. The week has just kind of meandered on. We've, we're watching other teams play in League's Cup. We're watching different storylines throughout the league, different circumstances, different discussions. But for us, it's looking at the action in the transfer window. And while it, it's not the sexiest thing that's happened in the league, and I think there have been other bigger stories by far, there, there were some meaningful moves made in this window by City. They made three moves. So let's dive into them, Santi. We started off with uh, Nuke V. Torreson signing, and he he's the biggest splash, I think, that we made. That's easy to say. We also signed Anthony Markanik from Colorado Rapids, and we acquired $100,000 in GAM for an unused international roster slot. Wow. What what a big splash these make. But no, in, in, all, uh, in all fairness, let's, let's talk about Torreson because this is the name that had been rumored for a while – it was the first name that we were made official a couple weeks ago. And the, I think this was made official before our League's Cup match. So this one yeah. had some time had some time to ruminate on. And he's probably the, of, of all the names, the most household of the names now that people have been paying attention to. So Nuke Vitorison is six foot two, 23 years old, about to turn 24 later this month. He was signed to a contract through 2025 with an option for 26. He's a one-time Icelandic national team player. Hopefully more to come on that. Torreson has scored eight goals and had three assists in 30 games across all competitions for Beershot in the Belgium League. Had 17 goals and five assists scored in the Icelandic first division for his former team, K.A. Akureyri, in 2022. He's been described as fast, dynamic, and Lutz has been quoted. This is a very interesting point because there have been a lot of discussions about his positioning and how he's going to help out City, what his role will be. Lutz was quoted saying he's seen as a left winger. He's not a left winger. He's an offensive all-arounder. When it comes to our playing philosophy, our values, our playing style, that's a guy that basically hits all the things we're looking for. When the opportunity came up that we might be able to get him out from beer shot, it was worth the lengthy process of negotiations. And finally, the curtain fell. That flexibility and versatility to play every position up front made it a very easy no-brainer for us. So Santi, thoughts on Torreson? Definitely the versatility. It's um, it's a great thing uh, when you get a, a player like him. You can use him in different roles. Um, and yeah, even though he has been said that he's a left winger, he'll be able to to play in different positions. And 
I, I go back to um, a few shows ago, probably months ago, weeks ago, when we were talking about what city, what were the biggest needs uh, going into the window. I think most of us uh, talk about getting a striker. And yeah, he's not a natural striker, but he can play in that role if needed. And, and back then, uh, when we talk about that, like Sam Adeniran wasn't back yet. Uh, now he's back and he has proven that he can play that role. And um, it just gives the team more weapons um, offensively. Just thinking about the left wing, um, I know he can play other positions, but it would be congested at left wing. There would be a lot of options there. Yeah, and, and that kind of makes me think of when we see highlights of Torreson and we see how he plays in some of those those videos, it kind of seems like he finds himself high up on the field, not unlike Sam Adeneron on the left side. So I hear left winger. I hear Lutz describe him as an offensive all-arounder. I don't think of a midfielder. I almost think of the kind of player that Rasmus Alm is, but on the other side. And the way that we've seen that play out for City so far this year, Alm has not fallen back into the midfield role. He only plays a midfield role when we're in a 4-2-3-1. And even then, he's more high up on the field alongside uh, Nico Joachini or Sam Adeneron. And so when we do like this 4-4-2 with the diamond, Alm is not part of the midfield in that. He's one of the two right. up front. That's kind of the role that I'm envisioning for Torreson. I, I don't know about starting, especially not right away. I think when it comes right. to... And, and that that's probably good to remember when it comes to expectations. The biggest question mark here at least right off the bat, is when will he make his appearance with City? When will he start training? And how fast will that paperwork be completed for his arrival? I think back to Jabulu Blom on on using that as a, a framework for what we can expect. Blom was signed in December of last year. It took him about a month to arrive to St. Louis after his signing due to work permits and visas. He started training camp, and then two months later, he was ready to go, but still not at that full 90. So if... Torreson is signed here in July. He comes to St. Louis in, let's say, mid-August. I think early to mid-September is a, f a fair, if not ambitious, timeline to expect him to be seeing minutes. So against Austin, don't I, I urge everyone, don't be over-anxious in seeing him against Austin, especially on August 20th. I hope to see him training with the team by that time, not necessarily even consideration for matches. I think it'll be a few more weeks before we see him, especially too, because his last game minutes were in May. And so he is in that same boat that a lot of City 2 players last year also, the Berkeys, the Klauses, the Leuvens, were when they got up to speed with City 2. And it wasn't in July. It, was, it wasn't in early August. It was a little bit down the line and for that stretch run for us last year. Think of those two scenarios when it comes to setting your expectations, I think. Do you think he will see some minutes with City 2 as part of... Uh getting uh, in shape and getting acclimated to the system? I could, I guess, depending on the form of everyone involved, that, that could be because we've seen that propensity for Carnell to ride the hot hands and ride who's in form. And if he has a cohesive unit and we're winning, I don't see him introducing Torreson into the mix too hastily. I think that would provide a buffer to get him some meaningful minutes and matches under his belt without disrupting what the first team might have going. Now, if we fall into a huge slump and we, we go over in the first few weeks we play, there could be a little more urgency. There could be a little more uh, willingness to, to slot him in and just throw him to the wolves, so to speak. But 
I think the way that the form will go for City will kind of dictate that. I wouldn't be surprised because it's a viable option. We see it for Nielsen right now. Hopefully, we're going to see it for Klaus in the next few weeks. We saw it for everybody last year. It, it's there, and it's something that Carnell and Lutz and group have taken full advantage of when they needed to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if his first, his first few minutes are with City 2, and then they can ramp up his minutes with, with City. But... Um, yeah, hopefully that is a scenario where the team goes in a slump. Uh, it's just uh, something that we discussed today, uh, and the team will start. We have a great start on August twentieth against Austin. Agreed. So that was the big splash of the signing of the transfer window, right? Would you agree that that was kind of the marquee name? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, just thinking back uh, about the beginning of the season when we knew, okay, there are some. Roster slots is still available. What is the team going to do with them? And I remember talking a little bit about it and saying, well, the team is probably going to take that approach of about seeing how the season goes and from there determine what its needs are. And when you find yourself in first place, yeah, there are always needs. There are always positions that can be improved, but you can take your time and not rush into these decisions. And Lutz himself said it, um, when he had his availability before the transfer window started, mm -hmm. he was like, uh, we don't want to bring a player that will make a difference just three months. We want to bring somebody for the long term. And this uh, acquisition shows that there is a plan. And the fact he signed uh, until 2025 with that option for 2026 shows uh, that there is a long-term plan. And we may not see a lot from him, this year, but um, I expect to uh, to see him more next year if he doesn't play a lot this year. So Torison comes to us from outside of MLS, from Beershot, so he had to structure a brand new contract. The other move that was made for a player this window was for Anthony Markanik, coming to us from Colorado. The quote that you said, Santi, is very important to me with this signing, because I think Torison, we can all see that there, there is that long-term plan with his age, with his national team experience, with what he can provide us in the attacking end. With Markanik, it's it, the quote that I had is from Lutz, it's not just something that comes in now and does the trick for a few weeks with regards to who they're looking to mm -hmm. sign. It needs to be something that gives us a sustainable push for the future. That's where we're definitely looking at a few more areas where we can strengthen our club. That's what he said after the Torreson signing. Enter this week... A day before the transfer window closed on Wednesday, on August 1st, it was announced that the six foot one, 23-year-old left back, Anthony Markanik, was acquired from the Colorado Rapids. Markanik was originally drafted as the 26th overall first-round super draft pick in 2022, where he was signed to a one-year contract with two option years. The first option year was picked up by the Rapids. And it, it, looking at his salary on MLS Players Association, his salary would fill in with that supplemental minimum, just like a Max Schneider. With this signing, it pushes, and we'll talk about the roster in a minute, but this signing pushes us to the max of our roster availability. This is the 31st contracted City player filling a spot that Max Schneider has left since he's on loan with City 2. So we are now at full capacity. That's the most important thing here. We, we didn't sell anybody. We didn't transfer anybody out. The, the rumored transfer out of Selmer Pedro didn't happen. We'll touch on that in a minute. But this is the 31st contracted city player. And looking at Markanic in particular, there's a lot of interesting things that he can bring to the group. 
And and it, it all starts back to what his time with uh, the Rapids and what he did with the Rapids, where he recorded 17 matches across all competitions, spending a lot of time with their next pro side, Rapids 2, who I think it should be noted are having a vastly different season than the Rapids. And your playing time with a two-team may just be because there's a log jam with the first team. I think looking at an Isak Jensen is a good example of that specific scenario. And Markanik particularly has had a good season at the left-back role with Rapids 2, helping them to this first-place position so far throughout this year. He's had 19 matches so far with Rapids 2, but he's also kind of an attacking presence. So Nick Markanik is his twin brother who has that attacking propensity with FC Cincinnati. And while he was with college, in his college at Northern Illinois, Markanik was a three-time first-team All-Mac honoree making 67 appearances for the Huskies, registering 17 goals and 24 assists. The latter of those are tied for second most in their program's history. So this is a guy who has a history of moving up and down the field very well. He's the guy you can foresee being an attacking threat on the left side that Carnell likes to utilize. And the quote from Lutz Fennenstiel is, we are pleased to bring Anthony back to the Midwest. He's a hard worker and an aggressive left back who will bolster our depth at the back line. We are excited to see Anthony continue to develop as a professional with us. That's the thing, Santi, is develop, develop, bolster our depth. That's exactly, I think, where we can look to Markanik making an impact or how he's going to slot in in the back half of the year. What do you think about this signing? I, uh, I like um, just looking at his stats, uh, what he did in college, uh, just that great output of goals and assists just uh, brings a lot of promise. And um, yeah, he's still young and um, there are a lot of guys right now at that left back position. So I think uh, the team will have time to uh, develop him. I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, spends some time with City too. Maybe we'll see him. This Sunday with City too. Not sure if it is too soon, but I'm. I think he will spend um, a good amount of time with City too, playing some minutes there. But at the same time, makes me think about. And I know we're gonna go into uh, guys that will be free agents at the end of the season. But I think uh, this is also in preparation for some of the guys at that position uh, being free agents at the end of the season. Yeah, while it's not a flashy pick and it doesn't move the needle meaningfully, I think in our starting 11 or our best 11 that we see right now, it definitely aligns with not bringing somebody in that does the trick for a few weeks, the sustainable push for the future, looking at how you're managing this roster for years to come and the pieces that you're going to have available and what your long-term outlook is. Bringing in a Marcanic is a very low-risk, high-potential-reward scenario where we only acquired him for $75,000 in 2023 GAM, our first round super draft pick in 24 was sent over to Colorado and a potential conditional $75,000 in 2024 GAM also if those some incentives are met. Typically, when you see these kinds of moves, Santi, I believe the incentives refer to um, appearances. Yeah. Sometimes they might be goals, assists, contributions, those kinds of things. But appearances is the, the biggest one. And it's where we've made other deals like that with Charlotte, namely uh, for the first round pick last year. Yeah. And their pick, I don't think is going to qualify for those kinds of incentives. Diop at, at, on their back line. Right. With Markanic, I think it's the same scenario. Uh, we'll see if he meets those. Um, the unfortunate thing is with these kinds of trades, it's rarely, if ever, circled back to on have they fulfilled or met these conditional incentives? So right. I, I try to look at it as if it's appearance-based 
And then it's it's almost hit or miss. Like Sam Adeneron had some conditional incentives for Seattle. I just view him as having met those given his number of appearances so yeah. far. Yeah. I think it's it's one of those where you're never going to have the full answer, so you might as well make an educated guess. Yeah. Yeah, and if they don't hit that, um, it's money that doesn't go out. But, man, I have a question on his contract situation. Basically, he comes with, with what he had in Colorado, meaning yeah. that it's just the options at, at the moment, right? Yep. Yeah, so we can we have him to the end of the year. We can trigger the option for next year. That That's usually the understanding with these kinds of deals when they come internally from MLS. Okay, so... So yeah, we, we'll see more from Markanic um, in with City too. Um, we'll Likely, see if yeah. He, if he makes uh, any appearances with with City, but but no, I like the fact that he's young and that uh, could be a, a weapon on on offense um, long term. Yeah, we and we had a reported deal that fell through for another targeted left back. Manuel Veth, our friend from Transfermarkt, reported that there was interest in acquiring a player from Europe who was reportedly not Conrado. So another unnamed player that apparently Lutz had been in contact with, uh, but never came to fruition, never was uh, publicized on the name. And so we saw, we know there was other discussions being had. Nothing came on the left back side. You know, you mentioned it, Santi. We now have what I would consider four left backs on our roster of 30 players. And that's a pretty sizable uh, focus to that position. But I think more, more than anything, it kind of speaks to the fact that that position has not worked out very well in what they had hoped for as the starting left back for city is a converted center back. And so there is going to be, I think an evaluation of this position in particular at the end of the year, because Selmer Pedro did not get loaned out. We hope to see more time with him at City Two. Nothing came to fruition. I think Santi, did you want to did, did you want to talk about what you've heard as far as uh, maybe some of the things that that City was looking for with Pedro that may or may not have impacted his ability to be loaned out? Yeah, yeah. So um, what I what I know is that um, the team and his agent were looking uh, for a loan to uh, to another team. Um, I. What I know is that uh, a few weeks ago, like there was a big interest and um, it was close to happening, but uh, at the end it didn't materialize. So uh, Pedro is still here. When uh, the team announced uh, Markanic, um, I thought that maybe there was going to be an announcement about the loan um, after the um, the window closed, but nothing was announced. He's still here. So um I, I think he will continue having appearances for CD2. And um, it's just now a, a four-man uh, battle for that starting spot. So um, hopefully um, he can show good things with CD2 and, and make a case to uh, get more minutes with, with CD. Uh, it's going to be a very difficult situation for, for Pedro, like... Uh, not having a lot of time with with City and uh, yeah he has had some minutes with with City too but uh, I don't think that was what he expected when he came to St. Louis. No and and you can make some educated guesses on why the loan didn't materialize things that that we used with Sam Adeneron loan that were very valuable for that with where you're you're not looking to sell the player you're looking for an ability to recall him whenever you need to and so if a team wasn't willing to accept some of those potential uh requirements 
you know, that could make it a little more difficult for it to occur. And that's for the betterment of both the club and the player. Like Pedro's a player who they clearly see as wanting to develop and wanting to be a part of their plans long-term. There is, there's no, I, I haven't heard any conversation of saying he's a, a failed project, a lost cause, anything like that. Not nowhere near that. And so when you, when you loan a player out is with the express purpose of developing, getting minutes, finding form, and then bringing them back into the fold so that they can play a meaningful part in your team going forward. If that wasn't uh, able to be organized or worked out with any other club, that's unfortunate. And now you look to how the time is going to be split between the first team where so far it's been Hebert and Nelson. And on the second team with city two, it's been Pedro here lately, but How's Marcanic going to fit into this? And how is he going to eat into Pedro's time? Is he going to eat into Nelson's time on the first team? And then how does that how does that cascade effect start to occur to find players' minutes? Who becomes the odd man or men out? And where do we look going forward? Because now, like I said, all 30 roster slots are full, technically 31, because Schneider is contracted to City and still on loan. So I look to I look to what we have at the end of this year and trying to forecast how these players and more may start to fit into plans at the end of this year. When I look to city contracts that are expiring at the end of this year, looking at player and looking at contracts and not necessarily uh, uh, team options to pick them up because this means that the team does have a choice. I look at Jared Stroud, Celio Pompeu, John Nelson, Josh Yarrow, Akil Watts, John Bell, Lucas Bartlett, AZ Jackson, Michael Creek, and Max Schneider as all having, and now Anthony Marcanic, as having contracts that could end at the end of this year, depending on what the team's plans are for them in the future. Some of these players have been extremely valuable to City at various points throughout the year. Jared Stroud, Celio Pompeo, AZ Jackson, Josh Yarrow, Akil Watts, even recently John Bell. Earlier this year, we've had John Nelson, Lucas Bartlett throughout. Like every single one of these players have had their moments, but how do they fit into City's long-term plans, especially because when you look at the depth chart, you have certain things that bubble up, like the left-back position where you're having four deep. And looking at any one of our formations, I see a pretty pretty evenly spread distribution across all of our, uh, all of our really positions, all of our lines. So I look at, I've looked at three different formations as far as how our roster has been run out on the field. The 4-2-3-1, the 4-4-2, and the 3-5-2, really, where you have wingbacks. Any one of those scenarios really has two or three deep at every single position. And so earlier in the year, we talked about depth at any one position. I look at the entire roster as now we're, we know what we're going to have the rest of the year. We're, we're deep in every position. The, the argument or the conversation now is quality of those positions and how do you have the depth of quality because that's where an expansion team often fails or often falters is depth is quality in your depth. We have in any given formation, 12 defenders deep, 11 midfielders, four forwards, more or less, depending on if you swap it out from the four, two, three, one on there's, there's depth here, Santi, but it's can these these conversations that we just had at left back, which can be discussed at any other position on the field, really, can we materialize a player who can carry us forward and be confident in one or two players deep throughout the end of the season? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what what happens um, with all these guys. It's a long list. Uh, on some of these, there are options that the team the team can exercise, right? Most players here do have options. So it could be that every single player I listed returns next year because City exercises their team option. But it could just as 
as easily be the exact opposite. More than likely, it'll be a mix and match. I can see some players like, I doubt we get rid of AZ Jackson. I doubt the way he's been playing Salio Pompeu with as, as young as he is. I think some of these players are going to be depth conversations. Akil Watts yeah. has really shown. So earlier in the season, I put less of a less of a stock into that. It's, it's a, how have they developed with City? How have they come on and really adapted to the system? So the players that you see carry forward, the, the better they do, the more likely it is we pick up their option, especially the younger, more cost-effective ones, I would say. And so from that, you do look to a Jared Stroud, a Salia Pompeo, and AZ Jackson, players who you can pick up an option for as opposed to having to restructure their contracts or re-sign them because they're more like restricted free agents. Right. Right. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it would be mix and match situation. Um, I don't think everybody on this list will um, be here in 2024. Um, but um, still have some time um, mm-hmm. to think uh, to think about that. And these guys uh, will have opportunities to continue showing their value. So um, still a few months away from making those decisions. But to me, it will definitely be a mix and match. All right, Santi. I think that's everything we have about the specific roster we have now, the transfer window. You want to get a little nerdy? Hey, did we say anything about the third uh, transaction that happened? I, I think we forgot I, about I, I think uh, I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it, but maybe I didn't give it enough credit because <laughs> that, that, I mean, the last. The last announcement, you know, you have to focus on what the last announcement was under the radar. Yeah, but but yeah, what I wanted to ask, uh, obviously, we we got a uh, hundred thousand uh, in GAM. Yeah. Um, isn't that is that too low for you, or knowing that it is a, a slot that is not going to be used and that is uh, the end of the transfer window? Maybe that's what is valued at. You can look at it. I, I look at it one particular way. We had three trades before the season, acquiring three international slots. Two of those trades were we paid $100,000 for, $100,000 in GAM for, and then we were able to flip it for the exact amount. So I look at it as if we made a good or bad deal before, we made the exact same deal now. Inflation's a thing, so the price didn't go up for us. We didn't lose money. And at the same time, we were kind of a desperate team because if you don't trade it at this point, it's just a gone slot. You don't get any money for it. And I think we were able to parlay that to Atlanta, who did need an international slot for some of the moves that they made. So it was just a, a beneficial deal that I think Atlanta was willing to pay the market value we paid for. I doubt we were trying to uh, hold them hostage in any kind right. of exorbitant amount. So I'm, I'm happy with it because at the end of the day, it's just a wash on what we had paid for it originally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So at least recoup uh, what yeah. you paid for it. Um, and um, hey, it's just... An additional 100000 you can use uh, next year. That's right. That's right. And and these roster slots, these international roster slots, like we paid $100,000 to offload a 2023 international roster slot. Um, the GAM that we got in that is 2024 GAM. So if you want to get really, really, really into the weeds on this, you can look at it as it's not money for this year, but it's money for next year. And the overarching thing to me is that GAM doesn't expire. So any, right. any trade, any kind of discussion about general allocation money that's available to us, we get it in buckets per year, and I'll go over the amounts in a moment, but we never have it expire. Targeted allocation money does expire after four transfer windows. So you get it, a bucket of it at the beginning of the season, and then after four transfer windows, what you had initially expires. 
And so you have to spend it wisely. And that's why GAM is more valuable in general and has far more uses and less restrictions than TAM uh, because it doesn't expire. That's why all these trades are with GAM. GAM can be traded. TAM cannot be traded. You can only use TAM on certain scenarios like buying down a player who makes over the max salary. Uh, you can use it on some homegrown signings, but it's very limited in its use. GAM is much more wide open. And and so next year, we just now we have $100,000 more of it. And when you say it's good for four transfer windows, that basically means it's good for two years? Two years. Okay. Yeah. You ready to get right. a, so let's get, get a little? Ready. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Okay. So we talked about the players on the roster, the depth that we have now. Let's talk about what we have available and kind of the roster slots that we can look forward to because that's been a that's been a kind of a point of conversation and, and contention in some circles is why hasn't St. Louis made use of some of these roster slots? What do we even have? What do they mean? We did a show, MLS 201, back last fall. So if you're listening to this and you're wanting a lot more information about all the specific MLS roster rules, go back through our feed to last fall around the expansion draft time. Check out MLS 201. It's a deep dive that we did on every single roster rule. So I'm we're really only going to look at what we have and what we have available right now, which is having an entire roster full of players now. So we have no available roster slots for St. Louis City as we stand on uh, beginning of August 2023. We have two known designated players on our team, Joao Klaus and Edu Leuven. Every MLS team is allowed up to three designated players. If you slot two designated players as senior DPs, meaning they're over the age of 23, you have an opportunity to sign a young designated player as your third DP slot. If that third DP is either signed as a young DP, meaning they're less than 23, or not signed at all and you only have two DPs, then you unlock three U22 initiative slots, meaning three of your roster slots. You can sign players under the age of 22 for an unlimited amount, and they only hit your salary budget at 150000 or 200000 depending on their age. It's an extremely valuable, cost-effective means to sign young, talented players and fit them into the overall salary cap structure that exists. It's highly valuable if you are scouting and if you target players of that age. Plus, it allows you the affordability of developing them and selling them on for uh, ideally a much more higher price than what they're costing you. But with St. Louis City right now, we have two known designated players, Edu Leuven, Joao Klaus. They haven't announced any other DP, and we don't have a young DP signed. We don't have any named U22 players signed. We have two homegrown players signed, Caden Glover and Miguel Perez. And homegrown players are basically those who have just gone through your academy for a year uh, or they're, there's other kind of broader restrictions like they're from your area that you have on a list. But essentially, that they are, they are from your area. You've helped develop them and you sign them to their first pro contract. That's Glover and Perez right now for St. Louis. In addition, every single year, each MLS team is given eight international roster slots. And so we have 10 international roster, international players on our roster right now. You can acquire other international roster slots. So that third trade we made this window, offloading an international slot to Atlanta for GAM, we made three of those ourselves before the season to scoop up, get, gain flexibility. It allowed us to sign Nuke Vitorison. Like that's why, because we had that additional international slot. So we have 10 player, 10 international players. We have no available international slots. Um, 
and, and that's where our roster stands so far with the two DPs, the no young DP, the no third DP, the no U22s, two homegrowns, 10 international players. This so is where, ne- yeah, go for it. Cause I know what you're going to ask. Next year, we're back to ADPs, right? International players. Yeah, sorry, not not DPs. Eight international. Yes, it resets. It, it, 99% of the time, it resets. It is theoretically possible for you to work with a team to acquire multiple years worth of international slots, but it doesn't happen. I mean, right. pra- practically, it doesn't happen. So next year, we will be back down to eight international roster slots, and we'll need to look at can we get some of our existing players green cards or do we need to trade for additional international slots to make them compliant with the roster rules? And, and that's where it gets a little interesting because we've had some of these players for almost a year and a half at this point, namely Max Schneider, who is under contract with City. If he were to come back from loan, would take up an international slot, which we don't have available. So we're not going to be able to recall him from loan this year. And that's the kind of player who arrived to City first with City 2 and is an international player. So I would expect that if we were going to bring him back, we would get him, a, we we're working to get him a green card. And we asked a few weeks ago when Lutz was there if he had a green card, and the answer was no, not yet. So no, as far as we know, none of the players who arrived last year with City 2 have green cards. But because most of those players are on multi-year contracts, especially the bigger ones, Berkey, Klaus, Leuven, Jensen, uh, Tomas Ostrak, Rasmus Alm, Joachim Nilsson, all those players are on longer-term contracts. You would hope that at some point soon, they're the ones being targeted for green cards so they don't take up these valuable international slots. Yeah, I would think by the end of the season or before next season starts, uh, we will see some news on some I, of these players. I'm absolutely looking to hear more news in the offseason. That's, that's going to be a big story to follow because that's going to have a big impact in who we can sign once we do have available players uh, or available slots to fill uh, in the offseason, rather. But looking at looking at the roster, one last thing I do want to say on our our makeup as far as these individual des- designations is, I've heard I've se- well on the MLSsoccer.com website they list Isak Jensen as a young designated player. <laughs> We've heard rumors that Roman Berkey is technically classified as a designated player as far as MLS bookkeeping is concerned. And in all honesty, it's all moving the the puzzle pieces of the MLS. Uh, monopoly money around it is there there are scenarios like i'll give this specific scenario because i think it is the most likely as to have happened is roman berkey is making what we call the max tam amount of money he's making one point just under 1.65 million dollars per year that's his salary he came to us on a free transfer so he doesn't have a transfer fee baked into that mls rules say that for you to be a designated player you need to be making making more salary plus your transfer fee of over $1.65 million. Otherwise, you have the ability to be bought down from a DP status. Buying down just means in the MLS, in the MLS like ecosystem, you're going from being classified as a DP to a non-DP. And if you're making $1.65 million or less per year on your salary budget charge, you can be bought down. The team can classify you as whatever they want to if you're making over 651000 That's just They can choose to classify a designated player as a player making $800,000 a year, but they don't have to. They can buy you down with TAM, and that's how you're not considered a DP if you're making over $651,000. That's Berkey, to a T. Berkey is a max TAM player, but for MLS bookkeeping purposes, they could 
classify him as a DP and pay a penalty to MLS of $150,000 for having three senior DPs. So suddenly he's a DP, all we've paid is $150,000 and we move on. The alternative is we have to pay at least a million dollars of TAM to buy him down to under that max salary charge. That's a lot of TAM to spend up when you could just as easily say, all right, we're going to consider him a third DP, even though like he doesn't need to be. And we're going to save all of this TAM. So that I think that is just as likely to have happened on the bookkeeping side than not calling Berkey a DP and saying he's max TAM. Like it's, it's all just, it's all how you really classify somebody on, on paper, but in what's possible and, and theoretically an MLS, like it doesn't matter from that perspective. And, and the really the only reason why we're having this this come out in conversation today as we record this on Friday, August 4th, is because a story came out that the Columbus crew, in their attempts to <laughs> keep Lucas Zellerai on and sign uh, with Diego Rossi, I believe, yep. they had conversations about trying to buy down Darlington Nagby, who is a designated player for them, making $1.8 million. $1.8 is not even, I mean, it's $150,000 more. It's not even like, okay, this is a dollar or two. This is $150,000 more than the rules legitimately say can happen. And so he, he, they didn't let him buy Nagby down because it wasn't 1.65 million. It was 1.8. It was significantly more. Like that's why, that's why it matters. Not, the, not anything else necessarily. And the, the, the last thing I'll say on that, Santi, is these numbers may seem arbitrary, 1.65, but all it is is $1 million in TAM more than the right. max salary budget charge. And the max salary budget charge has gone up every year along with the CBA. So as, as the CBA grows and as time goes on, players can be paid more. That's just how leagues work. And so it's always been $1 million more than the max budget charge is what a player can be bought down at. And, and that's going to continue. So next year, it won't be 1.65. It'll be like 1. Point, it might be 1.8. <laughs> Maybe they will change it to 1.8 so Columbus can buy down uh, that yeah. rugby. Yeah, but, but that's, it's, it's, no, it's not some random 1.65. It's just $1 million over the max budget charge that they let you buy down a player with TAM. So Berkey classifies into that. Whether he's classified as a DP or not, it's almost irrelevant outside of if you're trying to get into the nitty-gritty of trying to figure out how much GAM and TAM and salary space St. Louis has actually spent and left over, which I kind of have tried to do that. <laughs> and so using that logic, trying to get some kind of idea of how much GAM and TAM and salary space do we have right now with everything we just discussed, I came up with a number of available GAM and TAM right now after the transfer window of around $965,000. And by that, I used the logic of Berkey's classified as a third DP. So okay. we didn't we didn't spend a million of TAM on him. What we did, our biggest single spend so far of GAM and TAM, are buying down of players whose combined transfer and salary exceed that max. Looking at Selmer Pedro, Tomas Ostrak, Joachim Nilsson, and Nukvi Torsen. Those players, when you combine their transfer fees and how much they're making salary reported by the MLSPA, is more than $651,250, the max budget charge. You've also had trades this year to acquire players like Tim Parker, Jared Stroud, Sam Adeneron, AZ Jackson, Ben Lunt, and then general buying down of players' salaries to fit into a $5.2 million salary cap. So all of those things combined is where we're spending a vast majority, if not all, of our GAM and TAM. 
that fits us into what I've I've had about a thousand dollars free in our salary cap. So we're basically at the salary cap five point two thousand dollars. That's that's the math I was able to work out. Now <laughs> none of it's specific because I don't know how much we're spending on any individual player. This yeah. is all like taking uh, taking Pedro's contract and saying, okay, we're spending um, three hundred thousand of Tam to to buy out his transfer fee, and then we're applying another one hundred fifty thousand in GAM to buy down his salary charge because the salary charge has to fit into the 5.2 million. That's where it all boils down to all this, all this, these MLS mechanisms, all these GAM, TAM, DPs. It's all about what a player's salary charges on the books needing to fit into that 5.2. Wow. Uh, that's a, uh, that's a lot of assumptions you have to make to, uh, get to that number. Uh, it's, it is to me, to me, it's too bad that there is no, uh, transparency in the league about these numbers and who has what status uh, uh, it would be great if, if this information if that information was made public and people knew what every team had available and how they start the year and what the different move moves they make during the year impact that uh, but that's just a dream it's definitely a dream and there's a there's a specific verbiage in the roster rules that say outside of those trades, the amount of game and TAM spent by a team is, is confidential to protect league player and negotiations. So they use, they protect themselves by not disclosing it, but it, it would, I, and I keep beating that drum that I, I don't like the amount of um, specifics and, and all these like very requirements that they have in MLS, as far as you can spend three DPs, but the way that you, you construct the rest of your roster is very limited. And, and the, the transparency around that, it sucks for a fan. Like it is difficult because the amount of hoops that I had to jump through on these Excel spreadsheets, I, <laughs> I, I don't know why I do it, but I, I can never say anybody should do it because it's just, and at the end of the day, none of it's exactly accurate. It's all ball. Right. Like you're all just trying to figure out how can they take the no, and the only known information we have are the MLSPA salaries, the reported transfer fees, and the announced trades and deals that the the club makes themselves, like the announced that they've sent out or received GAM or, you know. So we only have the information that is publicly available, that we don't have anything beyond that. And so the, the, the guiding light in what I try to do is assuming that you want to get as close to zero at the end of the day for your salary cap as possible. And, and in order to do that, you spend the least amount of GAM, you spend the least amount of TAM, because that can be carried over. And the way that those work throughout the year, I mentioned the CBA plays a direct impact in this. For perspective, the salary budget charges have grown over the past few years, but will continue to grow. So the current CBA was renegotiated back during COVID and will go until 2027. So right now the CBA's salary budget chart, or the total salary, 5.21 million. The general allocation money every team receives right now is 1.9 million. The TAM that everyone receives each year is 2.72. And that equals an available roster spend in 2023 of 9.83 million. That's what every team has to spend. DPs are how you go above that. U22s are how you go above that. And you can, that's where you get Toronto, you get Miami spending all this money on a few players, and their total roster ends up being like 25, 30, 50 million dollars because their DPs are making way beyond this because they don't count towards anything I just listed. Over the next few years, that's going to start to grow a little bit, but 
incrementally. People talk about wanting to see rule changes, wanting to see an overhaul of the roster rules. The next few years, the salary budget is going to go up to 5.4, 5.9, 6.4, and $7 million for the next few years. The corresponding GAM and TAMs that will rise with that are leading to available roster spends of all of that of next year, 10.4 million, then 11.1, 11.8, and 13 million. So by the time the CBA ends, the roster will have only gone up an available $4 million to spend outside of these three DP slots and the three U22 slots. That's why overhauls to the entire roster structure are so badly desired, seeing that teams want to be able to have more freedom and flexibility in how they spend their money. So in theory, if the league wanted to change these rules um, to increase the budget, Will they have to uh, renegotiate the CBA, or how does that work? I assume so, because all of these all these incremental rises were negotiated as part of that, and that's why I'm I'm pessimistic. I'm I'm never pessimistic. <laughs> I'm I'm pessimistic on that actually happening, unless the owners push for it and get the players buy in for it. I've seen Alejandro Be- Be- what Alejandro that, Bedoya. Yeah have viable options in how to do this. So I I don't doubt that the players would be on board with this. And with more owners pushing for it, I can see a coordinated effort being negotiated that they can overhaul or take the available amount of money and say, okay, instead of having uh, this $11 million or instead of having this $10 million be this total available and Gam and Tam is a part of this and yada, 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 let's just say, screw the salary budget, screw the allocation money, We're going to start at a baseline of this tens of millions of dollars. Maybe it's like a $25 million. And then you can spend that however you want throughout your roster. Ready, set, go. Hmm. With Messi, everything's starting to change, honestly. Like there's a, there's a lot of conversations about how Miami was able to sign him and if it's unfair to other teams, but the way that this last board of governors meeting at the all-star game went and the quotes that we had coming out of that from Jorge Mas and from others really does seem like the tides are shifting to more openness and willingness to open up the way that rosters are constructed and the flexibility that teams have. Yeah, I had not thought about the CBA, about being one more wrinkle. wrinkle. Yep. You have to uh, worry about if, if they're going to change the rules. But yeah, definitely Miami bringing Messi and Jordi Alba and Sergi Busquets, uh, I think uh, that's going to result in changes at some point for for the league. Um, and uh, it's funny when, when we were talking about um, like uh, all the budget charges and the lack of transparency, obviously Miami has generated a lot of conversation and, and people think that they are getting a special treatment, treatment, but in theory, they are doing everything by the rules, right? That's the thing. They are. And there are the only conversations about Miami is how did they get Rodolfo Pizarro to agree to a buyout on his contract? It's those kinds of things. Is how did they convince the player to do this? Like that's that's where how did they convince Jordi Alba to come here on a max TAM deal? The same way that um, Gareth Bale came on a max TAM deal. The same way Roman Berkey came on a TAM a max yeah. TAM deal. Like those those are the questions people have is how did they convince the player? Because all of these the ways that the players are classified now, Messi and Busquets as designated players. I think it's um, Campana might be the young DP. Yep, yep. And then they have three U22 slots because two senior DPs, one young DP, three U22s. And they're signing those U22s for big right. contracts. And then they have Jordi Alba as coming in as a max TAM player. So Alba fits in without using the DP model. 
So everything that they've been able to construct fits into the roster rules. It's the things beyond that. Like people are upset and, and having comments about Messi's specific deal that has Apple TV and Adidas involved. I view Messi as the entire outlier of this entire equation where he's the exception, not the rule. And if you're going to start talking about the greatest of all time to ever play the game in the same conversations as other teams, $2 million transfer fee player that is a DP, like those are apples to oranges. And, and this yeah. is a once in a lifetime generational type player that they made special dispensations to bring him to the league. And it just so happens that Miami is the beneficiary of that. It's one player that can play for one team, but he's the greatest of all time getting all of these eyes visibility into the league. The onus is now on the league and the owners to use that momentum to make these kinds of roster changes, to grow the league in a way that can be sustainable and growth driven after Messi leaves. That's the, that's the key to making this whole thing successful for the league and for every team involved long after Messi leaves. Yeah. Cause he'll be here two and a half years. Um, yep. so that will mean those changes will have to be made soon, but, but yeah, I hope the league uses it to, um, bring, um, obviously there is only one Messi, but, uh, if you can bring more players of that caliber, uh, by adjusting the rules, I think long-term it will benefit not only Miami, but every team and the league. That's the key. Anything else you want to look at for the roster or, uh, have I gone long enough into my, my passionate conversation there? No, no, I think we're good on, on the roster. Just wanted to take a quick moment. A uh, couple of people uh, left us coming on the on the chat, on the live mm. stream. So uh, just wanted to acknowledge them. Uh, our friend Mo, uh, he's saying that he finally made, uh, that he made another live show. And also uh, yeah. Jason Goodbody, uh, he, he also uh, said that he is delayed on the broadcast, but uh, he's looking forward to um, listening once we post it appreciate that guys it's a friday afternoon that we're recording this so i have no idea who's going to be available and who might tune in so it's awesome that people are watching this really appreciate it and uh yeah thanks for thanks for being on this ride with us as we're going through our own withdrawals from no city to watch no city to hear about with training and having to watch all these other teams go about their business it's it's tough at times but hopefully we'll get through it here soon but hey we do have a team to watch this weekend right we have city two City 2 is a team that we haven't really talked about much lately, other than the occasional who from City is going to start. So I want to do a little level setting as we wrap up this show with a look at City 2. City 2 won the Western Conference last year with a totally different look and feel and priorities. This year, City 2 has very much been a developmental year. A lot of City players have gone up and down. You've had some uh, disparities in the lineups because of the different priorities that the organization had that City 2 has been kind of along the ride for. But as they stand now, City 2 is 5, 8, and 7 in MLS Next Pro. They have 20 points, sitting in ninth place in the West, and the top seven teams go to the playoffs. So they're just outside of, of the playoff picture for MLS Next Pro, who redid their playoff structure this year. They opened it up a little bit more. So this, these next few games are going to be very meaningful with eight matches to go for City 2 until their season's over. Very meaningful to how they can continue playing into the playoffs. They've played 20 games. And, and I mentioned the, the different priorities. There have only been five players through 20 games that have 15 or more starts. Michael Wenzel has started all 20. He's a center back. He comes from Borussia Mönchengladbach's academy system. He was captain there. He's captain City 2 all year. 
Johnny Klein has started 17 of the 20 games for City 2. He's played with City. He's had uh, probably the most uh, exposure of any City 2 player as far as um, uh, visibility, fandom, and just everybody cheering for him because who doesn't love the homegrown story? Max Schneider, we mentioned him a lot earlier, has started 16 game, 16 of the 20 games. Faisal Batash and Juan Cousin have both started 15 games. Batash up front and Cousin is the midfielder and the attacking mid. So those are the only players. Just those five players have 15 or more starts. Everybody else has been kind of uh, moving up and down. You have your Pedros, your Jensen's, your Akil Watts's. Uh, you have Sergio Rivas. You have... Uh, I think it's, I mean, there's a host of players from City 2, both from the Academy on up. Josh Mayer's seen some time. Uh, you've had a lot. Caden Glover has seen a lot of time, especially recently. Th- this has been a, a very growth-driven team. But, Santi, the one player who I've been, I started the year pretty interested in, wondering how he would develop under City 2, and I've had a lot of questions, and we've had some questions asked of us about this guy too, is what's up with Owen O'Malley? Ono Mali has not started since May 28th for City 2, and he hasn't played at all in the last two games. Ono Mali was St. Louis's first-round, ninth-overall super draft pick this past year, signed to a Generation Adidas contract, and he has been up or down, hit or miss, kind of epitomizing a lot of the overall City 2 flavor. He's had some, some nuggets of information as far as um, discipline, as far as... Cohesion in the system, but other than those rumors or thoughts or kind of paragraphs and stories, there hasn't been a whole lot of information that we've really been able to glean about Ono Mali and his trajectory going forward. Yeah, not a lot of information available, but yeah, just the fact uh, that he was suspended um, for some time just uh, because of um, violation of team policies, of obviously not a lot, of, not a lot of information available on that too, um, and the fact that he hasn't featured for City Two in a while, it just um, says um, like I don't know what what it means, but uh, it's just um, too bad that uh, things haven't gone that well for him and and for the team. I'm, I'm sure City had a. Um, a lot of hope on him and uh, for him and um, putting him on the city two system to start the season. I'm sure that was part of the plan. And he uh, he had some weeks where he trained with the first team, but that hasn't happened in a while. Um, yeah. But yeah, hopefully he can he can turn the ship and uh, whatever he has going on, he can get get past that and. Uh, start showing that he's a valuable player for for the team hopefully he will get another chance um, for next season or for later in this season and i guess the good thing for the overall system with city two is that is probably our only question mark and only concern i think throughout the this entire roster everything else has been pretty as we've expected as far as some of the city players getting time with city two like max schneider obviously but selmer pedro michael creek uh, Isak Jensen, Caden Glover, seeing a lot of time there. And and seeing the development of some of the players specifically signed to City 2 and from our academy and our, our U21 side in the UPSL. So having Faisal Batashi, having Michael Wenzel, those guys from Queens Park Rangers and Borussia Mönchengladbach's academy in particular, I think those two, and I said this uh, last week and I'll, I'll said it before, those are two of my big players to watch as far as impacts to City in the future. I think some of these players, especially that we saw last week in their 4-2 win over LAFC, 
where there was a, a goal fest and we saw the return of Joachim Nilsson. We hope to see that going forward. But I think some of those players, Joachim Nilsson, obviously, but also Selmer Pedro, Max Schneider, Isak Jensen, Caden Glover, John Klein, Tyson Pierce, who we haven't really talked about, but featured last week, uh, recently had a youth national team appearance. He's a defensive midfielder for us last week. Wenzel and Batashi, all those players, that's the future. Like there's a core that's developing here at City 2 that's exciting to see play together. They're young. They're all less, they're all 23 or, or under, I believe. But seeing all those players kind of learn to play together and being able to gel and what that could mean carrying forward to City as we as we look to roster turnover year over year and what's going to happen, as we look to the development of the academy to city two to city, even players signed out outside of the system to city two, bringing that forward. That's an interesting wrinkle that we hadn't really discussed at a lot last year, but is something that Vensel and Batashi are really showing can be a viable option. Sign some of these players who are either outcasts or they didn't work out in their development systems in Europe and bring them over. That's the power of the Lutz Fennin Steel scouting system and the scouting network. That's that's kind of the guys, those are the guys I'm looking forward to in this next match against the Real Monarchs and also going forward. What do you think of what do you think of those guys are the roster that we've put together with City 2? I think it's a good roster and it has a, a mix of uh, players from the academy, players that uh, as you said, uh, maybe they didn't um, they didn't fulfill expectations in their respective academies or teams. But um, Lutz found a role, role for them here with CD2. And um, yeah, some of them, we could be looking at uh, them playing for CD. The only thing, uh, as we were talking about the roster having 30 players and some players having uh, contracts uh, through the end of the year, um, it's going to be an, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great problem to have for uh, Bradley and Lutz when they look at the roster for 2024 and they have to make decisions. Uh, and when, when we were saying there will be a mix and match with the players that uh, have contracts to the end of the year is because you also have some of these players um, knocking on the door and showing that they could be valuable for the system. So, um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Vansel and, and maybe Fetachi, uh, Fetachi move to uh, CD next year, or at least one of them. Yeah. But uh, when you do that, you have to uh, make decisions on some of the current roster too. There's always somebody knocking on the door. There's always somebody waiting to take somebody else's position in this system. We've seen that all year long. But what we're about to see is City 2 facing the Real Monarchs at home this Sunday. City 2 recently snapped their four-match winless streak, like I said, with a 4-2 win over LAFC. This next Sunday in front of what very well could be a next pro attendance record where as of August 1st, I, we heard that there were over 7,000 tickets sold. It definitely would be an all-time City 2 attendance record breaking the Herman Stadium attendance record last year. I believe that was 67, 6,800. Yeah. And, and, and we hope to see more. We hope to see that. It's youth soccer night with over 38 clubs doing a pre-match procession at the pitch. The Monarchs are currently 12th in the MLS Next Pro West with just 21 points. They have a 6-11-2 record, but strangely, they're better away than they are at home. So this could be a very nice matchup to see, and it will hopefully keep the momentum going from last week where we saw the return of jo Joachim Nilsson. We saw a, a high-octane offense with Caden Glover getting a brace, Johnny Klein with an amazing goal from Isak Jensen. We, these are the kinds of... of 
partnerships and and passing networks and all of the the things that play into it that we hope to see again this week that we saw last week develop with these players in this window of time where eyes can be on city two there's no city match and you're able to to just get the fan support around these players it's a unique time that i don't think any any of us really expected or i mean maybe even wanted to see given city's performance but this is a an interesting opportunity and i do hope to see the entire Eastern East Bowl of City Park packed with with fans. It's an exciting team to come and watch. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been to a couple of games and it's always exciting to to see the City Two players, uh, combination with some of the City guys who don't get a lot of minutes. But yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, this game. Uh, obviously, there is nothing else going on, no City games to go to, or a lot of times people excuse is oh but i was at city last night and uh back to back days of soccer is too much but there is nothing nothing around it so um great opportunity to come out and support the guys at city too uh there's gonna be a great turnout um i know uh that there will be uh some uh supporters there also there will be santos santos will be there so uh so yeah, if you haven't had the stadium experience, uh, this is a great opportunity to to have uh, a similar type of experience because uh, um, obviously seven thousand a few days ago, but I would think that by now that's probably in in the nine thousand ten thousand range. Uh, so a great opportunity to check the stadium. Uh, tickets are only thirteen dollars, and mm-hmm. to get the experience and um, also to support. Uh, this team, uh, some of the guys that in a few years we will see them wearing uh, the city uniform. That's right. And hopefully in a few weeks, we'll see Joachim Nilsson wear it. Come out, get a first glimpse at him, get a first glimpse at some of the players that we're going to see in a few years, like you said. It's a good family-friendly environment. It's it's a lot more laid back than city matches, but the support and the the fervor is still there. Like I think there's, there's chants that happen. There'll be drums. This will be a little more of a, a flair of an experience than some other City 2 matches. It'll just be a nice, it'll be a nice, exciting time, and it'll get us through this gap that we have until August 20th when City returns. Santi, anything else? Can't wait. No, no. Uh, yeah, just get your soccer fix um, this weekend with with City too. But but I think that's that's a lot of information. And Matt, we didn't accomplish uh, the thirty minute podcast again. We we never do. We never do. <laughs> I I always see I always see hope at the, at the end of the tunnel. On we can, we can do this. There's not a whole lot to talk about. But you know there always is things. There always are things to talk about. I love it. You love it. And hopefully you love it too if you're listening with us and you've stuck with us for this hour. Thank you so much for sticking around with us. My name is Matt Baker, Santiago Beltran. We're Flyover Footy. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do for whenever new episodes drop. Uh, We'll probably bring another one to you next week. Well, we will bring another one to you next week, just one more during this break. We're going to preview the last 11 games of the season next week. So I've already given a little thought to what we can do in this break. We're going to have a preview of the last half of the season. We're going to look at what kind of finish does City need to make the playoffs to secure home field, to earn a CONCACAF Champions Cup berth, all of these potentialities, as well as looking around what's going on in the league, League's Cup. And of course, any news that happens in the next week for City, we will bring it to you. Thank you as always. We appreciate your time and we'll talk to you later. Vamos City. We'll be right back.